Last year, the Australian Made Initiative organised a show in partnership with the Melbourne Fashion Festival. The models paraded the Cranbourne Royal Botanical Gardens dressed entirely in locally made garments. However, they were conspicuously barefooted. Very few shoes are actually made here. A skills shortage and lack of machinery means that most local designers manufacture their shoes abroad or import leather pre-cut. This means they're not licensed to carry the iconic Australian-made logo, a green triangle with a yellow kangaroo. But are there really no Australian-made shoes? Hello and welcome to the Critical Fashion Studies podcast. I'm your host, Dr Harriet Richards. I'm a lecturer in the School of Fashion and Textiles at RMIT University and co-founder of the Critical Fashion Studies Research Group. In today's episode, I'm speaking to Post Soul Studio co-founder Myra Spencer about making shoes in Australia. Post Soul Studio is based in Abbotsford, where Myra and her co-founder Breeze Powell design and make footwear. Their approach is what they call a manifestation of their love of shoemaking. Before we get started, I'd like to acknowledge that we're recording this episode on the unceded lands of the Woiwurrung and Boomerang language groups of the Eastern Kulin Nation. We pay our deep respects to First Nations elders past and present and to any Indigenous listeners tuning in. Thank you so much, Myra, for joining us today. I want to start by asking you kind of broadly about the footwear industry in Australia. And why do you think there are so few shoes made in Australia? Access to machinery is a big one in terms of people wanting to get started now. Obviously, there are courses that teach shoemaking. A lot of them are geared towards design or they're sort of short courses and certificates. So it makes it really hard to get the skills up to make shoes. I think... Most people that get into it are quite keen to do small-scale bespoke shoemaking. But yeah, I don't think there's a huge desire to get into manufacturing. I don't think it's just footwear. I think manufacturing in general, it's not a super glamorous profession. It's really hard, like physically, obviously. Yeah, I think it's interesting because the move offshore, like in the 1990s, took a lot of that manufacturing capability in terms of the machinery but also I think had that flow on effect in that then courses at TAFEs and things shut down because we just didn't have the jobs here because all of the machinery had gone offshore. So in response to that situation where there's a lack of machinery, a lack of skills, a lack of maybe desire, what you do at Post Soul Studio really champions traditional shoemaking techniques, which means that your shoes are made entirely in the Abbotsford Studio. What prompted you to work in this way and to make not just one-offs, as you're saying, but actually to make collections of shoes? Breeze and I were given the opportunity to essentially take over an existing factory. We worked together at Walk On Footwear that was in Clifton Hill, which was probably 10 years ago now. And our previous employer decided to close up and he gave us the opportunity to essentially buy everything we needed to continue making shoes. At the time, Walk-On was making for a couple of local Melbourne labels and they were doing really exciting. Like I remember when I started and I was so excited to get the shoes that they were making at the time, like they were super innovative and it was just really exciting to see. So I think 
both Breeze and I are definitely makers more than designers. So when the opportunity was there to essentially have everything we needed to continue making for these brands, and then obviously the idea was to have our own brand as well, mm-hmm. it was just too good to pass up. And obviously, yeah, it was important to us to keep this small industry and the business alive. Otherwise, the machines like literally would have been just broken up and sent Mm -hmm. probably offshore. I think some of them ended up going to India. They never would have moved together and maintained the ability to be a factory. So I think that was really important and exciting for us. Is that the factory that you're in now or you moved it from Clifton Hill? Yeah, we moved it. So that was intense. (laughs) (laughs) So he sold the building. It's now been developed. It was on Queen's Parade. Right. And I think, I can't remember, we had a few months in which to find a new place and we found a guy who was making traditional luggage. We found him on Gumtree and he found this building. It's huge, like it's 400 square metres and he really wanted someone to share with him and everything just sort of worked out perfectly. Sadly, his business no longer exists, but when we were all in there together, it was, yeah, it was a great time. It still is, like we have a lot of amazing people in there now, Mm. but um, yeah, we were lucky to find the building because obviously like as well as huge machines, we need air, three-phase power. You know, it's not, you can't move it anywhere. Yeah, exactly. I <laughs> um, can imagine. Yeah. You need yeah access. We needed cranes, et cetera. Mm-hmm. But yeah, in terms of local production being important to us, you know, obviously it keeps our carbon footprint down and we are in control of what we make, how we make it, what materials we use. We know exactly where all of the components are coming from if we're outsourcing any bits and pieces which we do especially for the construction of the soles and stuff like they're in Brunswick we see them multiple times a week like we can confidently say we know every person that have made these shoes or these components exactly where they've come from and that control is is really nice I don't think a lot of brands can say that I think sometimes when people purchase things made offshore they purchase a thing or a garment or a shoe and they don't give much thought into who made it or the Mm. fact that somebody did make Mm -hmm. it so having the small industry here like in a sense it's like growing your own food in a way like you know that actually someone made it or someone grew it and I think that that often gets lost with products. I agree. Yeah. I think there's a sense of forgetting that things are handmade. Yeah. um, That maybe if they're made offshore everything's just made by robots or yeah. by, by machines. But of course, hands need to put garments, cloth, textiles through machines in order to make them. And so when things are saying, oh, they're handmade, it's like, well, all fashion is handmade, yeah. all shoes are handmade. But having that proximity to the making process just makes that much more obvious or you can learn more about it or you can empathise with people who are working in Brunswick or in Abbotsford. So you sort of can, it breaks down that disconnect I think yeah and I mean ultimately like we can do what we want like you you know we're not limited by someone else and their factory and their materials yeah and I think you use a lot of uh, locally sourced materials as well yeah so mostly we do buy our materials from Victoria and Adelaide obviously their origin isn't necessarily those places. So in terms of accessories, buckles, those kinds of things, we have a supplier that has a factory in Bayswater, I think it is. And a lot of that stuff is just stuff he's had from when the industry went offshore. So it's just racks and racks of buckles and trims. And 
you know, all of that kind of stuff. Um, like I said, our souls are made in Brunswick. Most of our heels are handmade by a guy who's been around for so many years. So he literally like turns every single heel. The leather, some of it we get from Adelaide, the veg tan leather. Some of it we get from a supplier in Collingwood, but it does come from overseas. So yeah, like we know where everything comes from. Mm. Yeah, that's amazing. But I also imagine that there's quite a few constraints and yes. challenges yes. in terms of the skills that we have here, in terms of yeah, what opportunities you have for sourcing those accessories, those clasps and things like that, based on just what is available. And so maybe you could talk through some of those those challenges that you face and some of the constraints that are perhaps emerging as well yeah. as the as the workforce ages, for example. Yeah. I think obviously the skills Shortage is a big one and really the only way to overcome it was Breeze and I literally learned how to make them because when we worked at Walk On, we both worked in the office doing various things. Like we were very involved in, like I oversaw the production and Breeze was doing some more design stuff. But yeah, ultimately when we took the machines, we couldn't afford to keep any of the people on that were making for us, sadly, although we still do work with them now on a bit of a contract basis, some of them. So we had to learn everything. That was, you know, that was the only option. And there wasn't a school or like a program or anything like that to teach us. It was just figure it out, you know. Right. Um, we had little, you know, the guys that used to work in the factory helped us out a little bit, but ultimately it was on us. Trial and error. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think definitely the ageing workforce, um, the people we still work with now and even the suppliers, like I said, a lot of them are existing from when the industry was massive. So at the moment, it's a bit of a work in progress. There are a few people and I'm hopeful that more and more people are going to get excited. We have looked overseas for certain things and even that's possibly more challenging. You know, it's hard to meet minimums. The freight prices are really high. The quality is just not there. And when things go wrong, you know, like we repair all of our own shoes like a lot of the time we don't charge anything like if it's just something that's happened because that's really important to us or we're able to send it to whoever made that component to do that for us but obviously when you start getting things from overseas like if something breaks or like a whole batch of something's faulty like you don't really have any recourse and like that's not a nice feeling for customers either um, yeah. yeah and I think when you're thinking about the circular economy as well having that extended producer responsibility that actually you're taking responsibility for all of the things that you're producing and then saying well if something happens to them bring them back and have them repaired and as you say not many brands do that and that's pretty incredible as well and again just plays into the ways that we value our garments our footwear the things that we live with that we do take care of them and we do go out of our way to have them mended because we value them. We've maybe paid quite a lot for them, but they're also incredibly high quality and we want to keep them for years. Yeah. There's a lot of benefits. There is. I do think, and something I can get frustrated about is the disconnect, I think, a little bit between footwear and clothing when it comes to taking care of things and repairing. I guess because footwear and especially our footwear is you know, at a reasonably high price point, especially in comparison to garments. And, you know, we do, you know, sometimes people can get frustrated if they feel like they do need to repair it or 
you know, they haven't taken care of it, that I don't think people get frustrated in the same way with clothes. Like it wouldn't be completely outrageous for a button to fall off or something like that. Like, you know, things happen Mm. regardless of how well they're made. We can fix it, but these things happen. Like, I don't know what it is between clothes and shoes that people think they're somehow invincible. I spent all of this money and oh my gosh, now I have to replace a sole because I wore it every day. Mm -hmm. Like there's just not the same thought process with care and maintenance with footwear like there is with clothing. Mm, Of course, cleaning them is going to keep them in better condition, storing them correctly. And I think that comes back to one of those things as well, which we've talked about before is sort of where footwear fits within the fashion landscape too. And I do think that there's a disconnect. It's like we hear so much about the challenges of manufacturing clothes on shore, Mm. but footwear is often forgotten from these conversations, which is partly why I wanted to talk to you today as well. And I think you're touching on some of those other issues as well in terms of the use cycle and the expectations of footwear, which is just, yeah, I don't know. How how do you think we could overcome that? Um, I think you know, in terms of sale, like, you know, um, we have a small kind of shop front and that kind of information is passed on from our shop manager to customers. You know, we have care products that can be sold alongside and, you know, it does need to happen when the shoes are purchased. And I think that needs to happen across the board. Just education, like I think we as a brand want to start doing more kind of videos to explain it because I think explaining footwear using words is very difficult to understand because people don't know the terminology. It's very difficult for me to simplify it. (laughs) I just look at shoes completely differently. But yeah, no, I think it's really important for us to start visually showing people and explaining how the shoes are made and the, you know, what happens if something breaks or needs repairing. And yeah, obviously just at the point of sale that care products are offered and explained and the fact, you know, that they will need repairing. It's something that we offer, you know, if it's a sole replacement or something like that, we obviously charge, but we offer like, you know, free return postage and we try to make it as accessible as possible Mm -hmm. because we do want people to have the shoes repaired. Mm-hmm. And have them for a long time. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think, you know, timeless classics is really what we're trying to do. Mm. So I'm going to ask you a tough question now okay. because <laughs> you've just told us that it's really hard to <clears throat> explain shoes using words. Yes. But of course, this is an audio yes. <laughs> medium. So could you tell us a little bit more about your shoes? And you're saying sort of timeless classics for our listeners. What what do they look like? What, okay. What do you design? I think our shoes are, we like to see them as wearable so that we kind of envisage them going from day to night. So we we obviously do a lot of flats and sort of chunkier looking flat shoes as well. So we do a lot of like kind of hiker looking soles. We've done ripple soles in the past. And then we do, I guess, low to mid heels. And so that could be sandals. We do boots in varying heights. Yeah. I mean, they're definitely fashion shoes. Like we at the moment design two major collections a year. And then we also try to do two sort of capsule collections as well. We often flirt with the idea of changing that because it doesn't necessarily suit what we do that well, because we do mostly make to order We can always remake previous season styles, but because we wholesale at the moment, we sort of need to keep in with that seasonal flow for buying purposes, really. But yeah, I think like our shoes are a little bit 
different, maybe. Um, <laughs> it's hard to describe it um, when I'm a designer. But yeah, I think they're very wearable fashion, really quality materials. Like we don't ever use a synthetic lining, you know, everything's leather unless it's vegan. We offer all of our shoes in a vegan material as well. Beautiful colors. We use a lot of like handmade wood heels. So whether they're sort of the natural timber or whether we stain them. Yeah, this season we have sort of done like a matched stain heel to leather. So like the sole kind of blends into the shoe, which is really nice. Yeah, I would say they're maybe more on the heavier looking side like we don't sort of do a dainty stiletto or anything like that but yeah I think they're very wearable and I know that you as well as designing your own collections you also collaborate with other brands in Melbourne specifically yeah so we like I said when we first started the first sort of shoes we were making were for other brands before we started our own label some of them are still existing and then we've also kind of done smaller collections for other labels in Australia and New Zealand over the years. I think that side of it has become a little bit more difficult in terms of costs. If we want to kind of take that side of the business to the next level, we probably need to expand and get more people in because we're obviously making bigger volumes, but then the kind of margin we're able to make on shoes we're selling to someone else that are then retailing them is difficult for everyone. Mm. So At the moment, we're really, aside from one other Melbourne label, focusing on our own brand. I think that pre-COVID, we got a lot of emails from people wanting to make shoes on shore, which Mm. is great. Mm -hmm. But I think once you tell them the costs, Mm -hmm. (laughs) uh, most of them drop off. Right. Okay. Just think that they are expecting prices that they would find maybe overseas. Yeah. It's just not even comparable. That's really interesting that the desire is there. Yeah, it definitely is. The capacity to produce at that lower price point just doesn't exist here. And I think that does happen in garments as well, but there's just so many more options. So more places to look for local production, whereas footwear, as we were saying, is such a tiny, tiny segment. And as you've said as well, that you've got the machinery, but then having the people to run that machinery is another piece of the puzzle that can be hard to find. Yeah, definitely. And I would love to invest in upgrading the machinery like it all works really well but with kind of the aging workforce especially of people who are able to maintain that machinery is becoming more difficult so to be able to upgrade it to machinery like one of our main machines isn't even in English like the buttons are all in Italian so you know to upgrade that to something that maybe even had an instruction manual or you know like that would I think make hiring people easier because it's easier to then train someone at the moment it's sort of it's neither here nor there (laughs) yeah I mean we have someone working for us now and he's amazing because he's so enthusiastic but is an anomaly. Right. <laughs> I yeah. I, yeah, I don't know if many other people would have the patience for fiddling with these things. Okay. <clears throat> yeah, a rare bird you've yeah. found. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and also I want to talk a little bit about, you know, you didn't start Postal Studio on your own. You have a co-founder, Breeze Powell. How has the relationship as a co-founding duo and the company evolved in the years since you established Postal Studio? It's definitely come a long way maybe it took a while like any kind of business partnership to get on the same page a little bit and just in terms of what we want but I think we're there now I think we definitely complement each other in many ways like Breeze she's a problem solver and the way she solves problems is quite different to the way my brain solves problems 
which I think is super beneficial. I think in terms of like the practical side, like when we took the machines, it was literally like, you need to learn how to do this half of it and I'm going to learn how to do this half of it. And then we work together. And so initially that made it tricky if one of us <laughs> wasn't there. Freezes away at the moment, actually. So we've sort of had to adapt to that now that we're making more shoes and we can't just halt production if someone's not there. But it's been good. I think just going back to what you said about collaborations, like that side of the business is definitely something Breeze is really engaged in and she's always kind of coming up with ideas and brands to do sort of smaller collaborations with. We've done like so many, I was thinking about them the other day, done so many beautiful little collaborations over the years. We did one with Permanent Vacation during COVID um, where we made a slipper. Oh, wow. Um, cool. That was amazing. And it's now, you know, through those collaborations, you make connections and friendships. And now Claire from Permanent Vacation is in our studio space which is just, you know, so lovely. So I think like Breeze is definitely a people person. She is definitely at the forefront of like keeping our shoes really comfortable. Um, she has more difficult to fit feet. So having that kind of different approaches to what the shoes look like and how they feel and how they wear and um, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, makes it work out really well. Yeah, the complementary skills, yeah. but also an in-house guinea pig. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, she is always desperate to wear the samples as soon as they come off the uh, sole press. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like a very important job. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, that sounds, you know, those collaborative relationships and bringing permanent vacation into the studio space, that's maybe also part of what makes Melbourne special and the environment that you've built around you in Abbotsford. And this season of the podcast is, of course, all about celebrating the fashion community in Victoria. And what do you think inspires you in your work based on where you are and the people who are around you? What makes Melbourne a vibrant, creative city for you? I definitely think it's the people. I've studied in Milan and I lived in Germany for a while when I was growing up as well. And I can't imagine having this kind of business somewhere else. Yeah, I'm so inspired by what so many people are doing, particularly in the fashion space. And we're lucky enough to have connected with a lot of those people over time, just whether it's using their clothes on shoots or, you know, we did an anklet one season with a jeweler underground Sunday at our studio space at the moment. We've also got Chris Stewart down the back, who's an artist. He's gone full time doing that. So he's there most days. You know, it's inspiring to see him doing his work and yeah we've got the shop now at the front mm -hmm. with FME apparel and we're constantly looking for new brands to come in and kind of complement the clothes and the shoes so meeting those people seeing what they're doing like Holly from HB Archive she just made me a baby bag oh, like oh, with amazing. like a matching nappy insert and I, I don't love know, her you know bags. Yeah. yeah it's just yeah I think it's the people and like what everyone's doing and achieving is really beautiful. Yeah, and I think seeing what people are doing on quite a small scale, really thinking about craft skills and yeah. traditional making skills and doing it just as one person or a few people working together. But then it's when the cohort comes together yeah. that it can be so strong with yeah. these independent little entrepreneurs and, and business owners and craftspeople and designers and artists and that's where the vibrancy comes from. And that sounds like an incredibly inspiring place to work as well. Yeah, it's amazing. Like, you know, I don't think I would have had this opportunity to meet the people that I met in any other industry. I think it also just the 
older people, and I will say they're mostly men, the shoemakers that are still going, that have seen out the industry going offshore and they've just stuck around. They're so super inspiring as well. And they also, I think, have a lot of um, admiration for Breeze and I, and they're so supportive of what we're doing because I think they're like, they just love that someone is trying to keep doing what they're doing. I think because they know it's really, really hard, like physically Mm. demanding, but also like running any business is challenging. Yeah, yeah. So when you think about, you know, new graduates and the state of the industry and and where we're heading, do you imagine that there's support systems or new initiatives that might be established to help support new, young, emerging designers, makers, artists, manufacturers, skilled craftspeople – entering the industry what do you think might be necessary it's hard to know like I think we have to overcome people discounting it as a profession I think the RMIT footwear course I think it's still really popular and so maybe it would be great to like introduce more of a like manufacturing component into that course just to kind of show that side you know, like ultimately Breeze and I really enjoy making shoes in the way that we do. Mm-hmm. Um, I enjoy it way more than when I was trying to make one-offs for people. And yeah, I think maybe some funding to help replace the machinery. Like obviously there's new machines around, like there's shoes factories all over the world to like bring our capabilities up a little mm-hmm. bit to make it easier to employ people, you know, like in the construction industry, obviously there's all of these initiatives for apprentices and like that's like a massive you know part of it like Mm -hmm. something like that that we would be supported to hire someone in like an apprentice capacity because you know ultimately like it's down to money and like employing someone is really tough. Yeah so then leading on from that and my final question just to sort of wrap up where do you think and again this is sort of pie in the sky thinking where do you think the future of footwear is heading in Australia? I have no idea, (laughs) but I hope that it sticks around as the industry, you know, does age and, you know, retires that there are going to be enough people around to stick together to make it continue. I hope that it does, but, you know, we do need more support and, yeah, just more people that want to start making shoes. Thank you so much, Myra, for joining me today. I think it's so important that we not only think about the garments we wear every day, but also our shoes and bags and accessories. It's been wonderful to hear your insights on shoemaking in Melbourne. To all our listeners, thank you for tuning in. If you're interested in Post Soul Studios, you can see some of their shoes, alongside the beautiful Nagali pieces and an E. Nolan suit, in the Melbourne Now exhibition. It's on until the 20th of August at the NGV Australia. You can also follow them on social media and shop their shoes via the Post Soul Studio website. We'll include all those links in our show notes. If you're loving the Critical Fashion Studies podcast, I invite you to join us for episode 8. I'll be talking to Juanita Page about launching her flourishing menswear label as a recent fashion graduate. I also encourage you to subscribe to the series in your podcast app so you never miss an episode. As ever, a big thank you to Creative Victoria for their generous support, Thomas Phillips for audio engineering and co-production, Sanam Goodman for social media expertise, and Hugh Coldwell-Ross for our logo. See you next time.